Hello and welcome. This is Too Old for This Shit, where each week we dissect, discuss, and critique the best and worst of action movies from the 80s and 90s. Listener, you're listening to the podcast that puts critical thought into a mindless genre. Now, my name is Josh, and with me is Antonio. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so I grew up watching a lot of these uh, 80s movies and 90s movies, and Antonio seeing some of them for the first time. Uh, would you say that's... Most of them. Most of I them, think, okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's going to give us a fresh perspective, and I'm going to see if these stand the test of time. Um, and, I, yeah, I guess I just wanted to share my love of the, uh, of the genre. genre. And, and I'm excited to have a good reason to actually watch all of these films. So, um, so it doesn't matter if you watched it on VHS uh, or streaming it on Netflix. We're going to bring a freshness and nostalgia. So this week is... Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. Um, let's see. I, I, I do actually remember when I saw this movie for the first time. It was with my friend Arev Chantikian, who is going to... He came over and brought a VHS tape, and he was really excited about this movie. He was like, oh, this is the coolest movie ever. And right. I was like, all right, sure, you know, whatever. Uh, I remember really enjoying it. I don't think I have seen it since then. Since like, so it's been like twenty something years. Wow, I, that's I, cool. I can't recall. I mean, yeah. So I, I just can't recall. I know the overall premise, but I don't know. I can't remember specific scenes all that well. Right. So I, this is my first John Carpenter film, which I'm pretty excited about, especially mm. in now that I've seen Stranger Things. I'm Really, like, because everyone goes, oh, it's so John Carpenter, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, really intrigued about that, and I have a feeling this is the first film I've seen led by Kurt Russell. Okay. So there's a couple of You never of saw Overboard with him and Goldie Hawn? I think I've seen bits of it when, I was ten, when it was on TV, but other than that, no. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other great. Uh, well, a lot of the Kurt Russell movies... I mean, he, him and John Carpenter, they're, they're kind of like Scorsese and De Niro. Right. Um, okay. I think they did five films together, I'm going to say. Definitely Escape from New York, Escape from Los Angeles, uh, the film we're watching today. One of my all-time favorites, The Thing. Right. And I'm trying to think if there might there might be another one in there. Uh, but, yeah, they, they did a bunch of films together. Okay. So this is probably their third collaboration. Yeah, I have no context for this film. I've heard of it, heard of the name. It gives you a bit of indication of what it might be about, but I honestly don't know what to expect at all. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in. Let's do this. Let's watch Big Trouble in Little China. Can I ask you a serious question? Absolutely not. Well, then would you ever consider just jumping right in? Sure, but never with a person in your condition. Let's talk about my condition, just what's wrong with it. You should try standing down where I am. Not so fast, gentlemen. Is it too much to ask, Thunder? Kill him for me! Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. No question, just get out of here, Jack! Get out of here! Well, that was, uh, that was some big trouble, all right? Yes, very big trouble. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah, no, I, um, I was really impressed by the film actually um this is yeah it wasn't quite what i expected and it wasn't quite what i remembered either it's, really no like well 
this movie definitely sits in my childhood in a place of like it happened one time like i remember i can definitely right. remember seeing this and having it be like oh this is cool but i never went back to it so seeing it again i was like there was a lot of stuff that i didn't remember yeah right it's um that struck I, me as weird too i'm like yeah i don't remember this there's yeah there's definitely some really weird interesting bits <laughs> but um on the whole really well made film all right well let's uh let's go through the plot so for those who haven't seen it or have um so after an all-night gambling game leaves him owed a thousand bucks jack burton a truck driver follows his friend wang to the airport where wang is picking up his fiance a chinese woman with green eyes at the airport, Miao Yin is captured and taken to San Francisco's Chinatown. Jack and Wang look for Miao Yin, but stumble into a Chinese gang fight, which ends when magical Chinese fighters break things up. Yeah, we're not joking about that. So Jack then loses his truck and is forced to team up with Wang's family and the green-eyed human rights lawyer, Gracie Law, to get Miao Yin and his truck back. Things get crazier when it's revealed that David Lopan is actually a cursed ghost who must marry a green-eyed woman in order to get his powers back and become human again. The team go deeper and deeper under Chinatown, where a world of black blood rivers, hairy monsters, and ancient Chinese temples exist. It's karate-fied, slapstick humor, and a lot of 80s special effects. To the max. <laughs> there is, like, in terms of the story, there's a lot in this film. And, it, and, it's, and it's interesting because they don't set a lot of it up. It just sort of kind of unfolds, which is They do and they don't. There is a scene very early in the film which is a shameless exposition dump. Yeah, well, let's, we should, we'll get into that when we do filmmaking <laughs> process, but let's do, let's do initial reactions. This film is tight. Like, it moves quickly um, at a good pace and it doesn't really give you a chance to get too bored. It just keeps going, which mm. I really, really like. But you are, you are spot on. There is some really shameless, like, clunky exposition scenes in I there. Think, yeah, I think it was only in, in the first act, but then after that it was yeah, it just moves. action all No, the it just moves yeah. and moves and moves. Um, yeah, very yeah, and impressive too. Um, for, the, for for a movie that goes in such interesting directions, I never felt that I was like, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, I was like, okay, so this is happening now. All right, yeah, sure. Like, why not? Yeah, it it requires a huge suspension of disbelief, but I feel like you could not make this film now, and I think that's why it works. You kind of go, oh, okay, in the 80s, they thought Chinese people were super magical. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, it, interesting you say that because there is there has been announced a remake with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's right. interested in remaking this film. Obviously, he would be playing the Jack Burton character. Well, yeah. Okay. So maybe we should talk about who's involved yeah. in this film. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But my other initial reactions were like I, like I said, I genuinely forgot a lot of this movie. Like right. when I was watching stuff again, I was like, oh, okay, this this happens, and there's. A giant hairy monster, you know, and an eyeball yeah. monster. Like, it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Because the hairy monster is definitely, <laughs> that's probably the one thing that didn't need to be there but is. Yeah. Because it's. I think it's only in the film, in the film for about 10 minutes. It, well, yeah, and, and it's it's in the and it's in the final scene as well. It's 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 the explanation for a, for why. So there's kind of a, so there's a book ending or not a bookend scene, but oh, there's like, a, like an, an opening. Tag. There's a, there's an opening kind of like a, what do you call it? A cold open hmm. with 
uh, Uncle Egg and his lawyer who's representing him and yep. setting up the sort of the story before the we see that, Jack Burton. The fact that magic exists. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in that way, it's set up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it never comes back to that at the end, which I thought was interesting. Well, it, it basically explains why is Jack Burton gone missing? Like, right. that's, that's the opening. That's what the opening scene does. I never actually thought about that. Yeah, right. Okay. And so the hairy monster comes back at the end has obviously killed him or done something. I guess right. that's why there was never a sequel. <laughs> also, probably the fact that this movie bombed at the box office. Really? This is a huge bomb. I find that really hard to it believe. It did not make money. Um, the, the, the consensus on the internet was that, or that Chris Russell said later, is that the, the studio just didn't know how to market the movie. And they, that's they, understandable. It is yeah, very understandable. So let's, okay, yeah. so let's go to the people involved. <laughs> So this is John Carpenter, who is essentially a horror guy, best known for horror films. Yeah, although he, like I said, the um, the Escape from New York and Escape from LA movies are more action. They're definitely right. action movies. They're not horror. And this this is definitely an action film. I mean, it has horror elements in that you do have creatures and involved, but other than that, it's mm. not. There's not really any horror in it. No, except for when they when Jack. And Wang are in the elevator, and it starts going, filling up with the water, and then they open up the elevator, and there's all those skeletons. Yeah. That genuinely freaked me out. Like I was that like, was, I was that was like, some really good prop work. Like they yeah. looked like decaying bodies, mm. and it was frightening. No, that was but that really was a cool. scene that I generally forgot. Like I was like, I just did not remember that at all. It's understandable because they never go back to it in any way. It's it's no. just a little moment, and yeah, it would actually be interesting to sort of talk about that as part of sort of the story as well in how some of those elements were, were part of it. Mm. Um, so written by Gary Goldman and David Weinstein. Who uh, David Z. Weinstein would go on to write absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Except but, for, oh, well, he has character credit on the remake yeah. of Big Trouble in Little China. But apparently I did a little research on the script. So... They wrote, uh, Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein wrote this script and set it in the Old West. So, right. And W.D. Richter rewrote the script to set it in a modern day. So they almost stripped Goldman and Weinstein of their uh, screenplay credit. Right. But it was heavily rewritten by W.D. Richter. And he's, I mean, Richter has done a lot of movies, um, a lot of a lot of movies that were had Hollywood movie stars in it that I'd never heard of, which was interesting. Yep. But Gary Goldman would later go on to write Total Recall. He would contribute to the script of Total Recall. Yep. And also a script that was never made, but was the basis of one scene in Minority Report. And they had to give him an executive producer credit. Now, the reason I know this is because Scott Frank, the writer of... Minority Report. I heard him give a talk once, right? And Spielberg ha- like bought the script solely because Minority Report was originally supposed to be a sequel to Total Recall, right? And they had this script, but he hated most everything in it except for this one chase scene, uh, like around the car <laughs> in, or in the car factory. And so they excised that one. Scene. They bought the script and excised that one scene. And wow. that's all they used. But yeah, it was really interesting to hear Scott Frank talk about this because I went to a talk of his uh, many, I mean, just 10 years ago plus. But it was really interesting hearing him talk about how they, they only, Spielberg only wanted this one scene. So they bought the script. Yeah. And yeah, it is kind of interesting that, yeah, they haven't really done much else. Those no. two. 
Um, whereas, yeah, W.D. Richter a little bit more, only a little bit more prolific sort of through the 80s. Um, but I did feel like the script was important in this film and was one of the reasons why it worked so well. Mm. Um, as much as it does come down to John Carpenter's uh, directing to keep it moving, the script had a structure that allowed it allowed all the beats to sort of come at you mm. very, very quickly. Um, and they hit you with a lot. Of, like you're expected to take on a lot, but we essentially absorb that through the Kurt Russell character because the Kurt Russell character yeah. is the fish out of water. Like he's going into this. I mean, it's almost like a kind of H.P. Lovecraft world that exists yeah. underneath San Francisco's Chinatown. And yeah, I that was probably what helped it a lot. Yeah, it was that he was genuinely just entering in this world. But, yeah, Kurt Russell does a great job in this film. Doing his best John Wayne impression, I have to right. say, as well. Like, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's, he's, totally, he's totally aping John Wayne. But he's also got that goofball factor in a few of the scenes, which was unexpected. I didn't think that's where this film would go. I didn't think that was Kurt Russell's bag, but he did a pretty good job of it. He's, aside from Bruce Willis, he's the one um, kind of action movie star. I mean, see, this is the thing. Is Kurt Russell has done a lot of action, but I wouldn't necessarily only call him an action movie star. He does, yep. he does do comedy very well. I mean, Overboard is a good example. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's, he, he, can, he can definitely act. He has chops outside of the action genre. I, yeah, I do feel like his performance in this is a precursor to some of the sort of uh, comedy action that we see now mm. in most recent times in terms of how that's handled. That's what this film felt like to me. It felt primarily a gateway into Guardians of the Galaxy and, and, and Chris Pratt's character. Yeah, I, I, can, see what you, I see, can see what you're saying because Chris yeah. Pratt is sort of, he's almost a kind of Russell-less sort of comedy action actor now. Yeah, and then, of course, they went and cast him as his dad in the second film anyway. Like I... Yeah, those that was clearly very deliberate. Um, and that's what I'm sort of most impressed with by this film is that, yeah, it was just a really good action comedy performance by him. I mean, it's dated a little. It has. I mean, but, you know, the other, the other you know, name check we should probably do is uh, the legendary James Hong, uh, yep. who's been in every... He's, the, he's in Blade Runner... He was in Chinatown, and he's also in one of my all-time favorite roles, the Maitre D in Seinfeld at the, during in the Chinese restaurant episode. <laughs> um, other great Asian American actors: Dennis Dunn as Wang and Donald Lee as Eddie. Both both giving great performances, like really yep. sure-handed performances. And neither of them really did much. Yeah, no, because I yeah I didn't recognize Dennis at all. I'd never seen him in in anything else. Which is, yeah, I thought was a little bit unfortunate because, yeah, when I was watching this, I was like, man, these guys handle the, you know, the kind of the crazy <laughs> kind of scenarios yeah. and give, a re- give it a real reality. Yeah, no, it, they, they kind of grounded. I don't know if that's the right word. But, yeah, the, everyone did a really good job in this, in this film, I felt. Um, and, yeah, uh, Dennis Dunn in particular, he's essentially the second, almost the second lead in he- the film. I would say he almost, he is, well, I mean, definitely Kurt Russell is obviously the lead because yeah. he's the name actor, but Kurt Russell is almost the sidekick in a lot of ways in this movie. Well, this is how the, we might talk about this a little bit later, right. but I feel like this is how the film is structured differently to a lot of action films and is both, it's interesting because it's different, but also I feel like 
it's a bit of a problem. It suffers something. Okay, one other name we got to check is Kim Cattrall, yep. which I'm going to go on record here and say, uh, this is, I know, I'm getting out on a limb here. Kim Cattrall, underrated actress. Because right. she's known as Samantha Jones on Sex in the City, you know, playing sex pot characters yep. that she often does. But she's great in this movie, and she's not a damsel in distress. Yeah. Plus, she was a Vulcan in Star Trek VI <laughs> and does a great job on that. She's got a little more range than we thunk. But Although she wasn't Porky's playing, uh, you know, sexy cheerleading coach. So what do I know? I don't think this is an example of good acting for her necessarily. I don't feel like the women in this film had a lot to work with. Mm, no, I, I can't fault you there. It, but I don't know. I, I, I definitely felt like when I, when I watched her, I was sort of like, I was just like, oh, I, because I, 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 I generally didn't remember her being in this movie. And no. I was like, oh, buckle in for a, you know, Samantha Jones in a right. Kung Fu Chinese Western action movie. And I was like, no, she's, she's playing a different character. It's not her, that's not what this character, this character isn't a sex pot. No, but I felt like she, instead of being a sex pot, she was just a conspiracy theorist essentially. And she, I felt like she was only on one level the whole movie. If she wasn't unconscious because of uh, Lopan's magic, she was you know, panicking and being like, people don't listen to me. Do this, do that. Oh my God, the world's going to end. Like she didn't really have much else to work with. I felt. Well, you know, yeah, that that's true. The The script does not give the women in this movie a lot to, no, to work with. Not so. at all. I mean, the, the basic premise of the film is, is about marriage essentially. All right. So Josh, what worked for you in this film? Oh, the 80s special effects. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were pretty good. I, they didn't get in the way. I I was not There's a lot of yeah. lightning in this movie. Yes, there was. Emperor Palpatine would have been proud. <laughs> but it was no, I didn't it didn't take me out of the film. I didn't see the seams as much as I have in other old films where you go, "Oh, okay, that's how they've done that." Because it was this weird mix. It was a really good mix of practical and special effects. The lightning in particular, that was fine. Mm. A lot of wire work in this film. Like yeah. heaps of wire work. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, I just loved the pace of it. It just, um, I'd already watched, you know, just like having watched a few movies this week and then watching that and it just, I yeah, I just didn't get bored. I, I kept wanting to watch what was going next. Often when we watch, we watch films, we take notes when we mm. watch films for this podcast. I had to force myself to take notes in this film so I would remember things because I, I just couldn't be bothered. I was like, no, I'm watching the film. Yeah. I didn't have time to stop and go, Oh, that bit! I want to talk about the, that bit later. I just, I just kept wanting to see what was going to happen next, and I got engrossed in the story. I was just really impressed. I did, didn't expect to feel that watching this film. Yeah, because well, because the other thing too is what helps is Kurt Russell because the, Kurt Russell is the surrogate for the audience, so he's always going, "Hey, what the hell's going on here, partner?" You know? Yeah. And like, he's like, "I don't believe that," you know. It's so he's always kind of not putting the brakes on, but going, "Okay, this is crazy," you know, and mm. then the Asian American characters around him are like, no, just, just go with it. Like, this is real. Like, like they're a proxy for the director and the writers being like, stay in your seats, theater audience. Yeah. It's going to be fine. <laughs> we mentioned before the cold open. I really like that as a, like cold opens in general can be good or bad. That was a really good one. I quite liked it. It just immediately grabbed me. I was like, okay, this film's going to be different to what I've seen because it's about Chinese magic. Mm. Sure. Um, that really worked for me, but then 
there's one scene that didn't and there it was the exposition dump <laughs> after the airport scene. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work for me. Kim Cattrall's coming and going, hey, I'm Gracie Law. I know yeah. I'm sticking my nose where I don't belong. And also... <laughs> it was like straight out of fucking His Girl's Friday. <laughs> I didn't quite follow what her name was or what her job was. I was like, oh, I think she's a lawyer. And then someone later in the film calls her Gracie Law. And I'm like, oh, I must have misheard. She's not a lawyer. But then what the fuck is she? No, she is. Well, no, she's, she's, a a lawyer. she's a human rights lawyer. That's, Called that's Gracie why she's, Law. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit, yeah, it's, it's kind of like <laughs> a 1930s like cartoon strip, you know, like The Phantom or something like yeah. that you know it's like Chrissy law attorney at law <laughs> yeah but also yeah in that exposition scene the journalist had like the worst line ever which was like mentioning low pan she's like oh low pan you mean the guy who runs all of chinatown who's so reclusive he's never ever been seen yeah like, it's only five six seconds of the film but it is the worst it is just such bad writing that moment Be- yeah it's just blatant yeah, I I felt like it was almost to me on the level of like Thirty Rock of like I wanted <laughs> I wanted her to like turn to the audience and wink or something like yeah. that like or just like have like exposition dump you know superimposed <laughs> like flashing on screen while it was going on like but, but the other side of it is is that she says that they keep going like that scene they're just talking on top of each other and so that kind of worked in as well in that it didn't feel like they were hand-feeding you. They were going, all right, we're going to chuck all of our cards on the table. Here they are. You can see them. You've seen them. All right, let's keep going. They didn't really spend too much time on it. So it felt like a bit of a compromise in that way. Yeah. So the only other scene where the movie really slows down and there's like exposition is when Jack and Wang are in the little prison room. Yep. And he's been, they've been captured by Lil Pan's goons. And they're like, and Wang is saying, it's like, oh, you know, when we're children, we're told these stories of Chinese magic. And when we grow up, we pretend not to believe them. He's like, but it's real, you know? So the, the exposition is being given through character, which I thought was excellent. So, well, just with that though, because is that him coming to the realization that it's true because of all these things or is it? No, he knows because he's, he's cause always like, known, right? Yeah, because he, he he's seen you know all those you know when when the when the gang fight when they stumble upon the gang fight <laughs> you know <laughs> in the beginning and you know all of Lopan's magical goons come down yeah who look like Raiden from yeah uh, from, uh, Mortal, from Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Um, actually, that scene had a really cool shot in it that I want to point out was when so they leave the big fight that's happening with the three storms I think they're called. Mm-hmm. And then are basically trying to escape and then they bump into the goons that they bumped into uh, at the airport mm. who start to try and attack them and then they try and escape those guys and they end up back in the same alley. And it all happens in this one shot where they go from one fight to a new one and then they walk past the other one and it's just this awesome sort of show of space in this set piece. That was really cool. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed that. Set design. Actually, that's another good thing. I think it really worked for me. The set design in this is really good. Yeah. I really was impressed. Because, I mean, the whole thing is that, like, they keep going down further into the bowels of Chinatown, and it gets more and more weird and outrageous. And Yeah, I felt like they probably, yeah, there were a lot of, set pieces in in places that we didn't necessarily return to that were all just these, yeah, different locations underneath Lopan's massive warehouse or whatever it is. Yeah. 
it's never really explained like how did how did this actually get built but you don't really need to think well, about it no i think there is a story reason for it to exist because they kind of hint at the idea that there's all these different hells in chinese folklore oh yeah that's right yeah yeah like the the hell of the drowning upside down bodies is like the first one they go into and that's why the elevator is always going down Oh, I think you picked up on that. I didn't. Yeah. So, okay. Is there anything other? Is there anything that especially didn't did not work for you? Um, I think the journalist character was almost useless. Yeah. Why did we really need her? She she has one huge exposition dump. You could probably achieve that with something else. Yeah. Upon reflection, she didn't really do anything. She gets a crush on, <laughs> on um, on the the Brian character. Oh no, sorry, the Eddie character. Oh, the yeah, from the restaurant. Yeah, the kind of comic relief sort of. He's he's sort of like the comic relief character in a way. But Kurt Russell actually provides most of the comic relief. Yeah, actually, the, yeah, the journalist and um, Eddie and Eddie. They see that's the thing. This is a woman character, and we can't even remember her name. Uh, that's true. Like, they say, they, yeah. Um, it's Margot. We're just as bad as the script writers. Yeah. So Margot and Eddie felt like they didn't need to be in the film. But Eddie, Eddie had a purpose because he fought with the guys as well. True. That kind of work. But then Margot, not so much. But even then, I, yeah, I'm not quite sure why, the, why they were written in. I get I get Eddie's role. Eddie being the sort of the comic relief character. Yeah. Um like but like I you know he's definitely there. He's he's you know he's making wisecracks. Mm. Um but yeah, yeah, kind of on the fence. Like did he really need to be there? Mm. Um one thing that definitely did not work for me uh, was <laughs> the fact that the dude like Uncle Egg, his name is Egg Foo Young. <laughs> Did you right. notice that that no. on the oh yeah on the name of his tour bus that <laughs> is Egg Fu Young Tours, <laughs> right? And I'm like a little bit culturally insensitive there. Yeah, no, I. But maybe and, that could bring us into the cultural context. Yeah, the, uh, that's that's movie. one of my biggest ifs of this film is because when I figured out it was. Uh, set in Chinatown in San Francisco. And it's I was con- really, yeah, really it's contemporary excited. for its time. It's right. contemporary yeah, yeah. to the 80s. Because um, I've been to San Francisco, been to Chinatown, and I remember... It's exactly what, what it's like, man. Well, there, yeah, are, no. there are hordes of Chinese gangs fighting in the alleys <laughs> at all time. <laughs> no, but I Machine-gunning each other. <laughs> when my girlfriend and I, we caught the cable car up and then walked down a street and turned a corner, and it's like you've you're on the other side of the world. It's a totally different place. Unlike, you know, we're here in Melbourne, um, there's one street which is considered Chinatown, oh, and yeah. yet there's a lot of Asian uh, stores and restaurants in that street. But this is literally a town in the middle of San Francisco which is just dedicated to Asian culture and, and everything else. It's, it's very specifically Cantonese too. Yes, right. Because my mom, her office used to be right by Chinatown. We used to go there. Like when ah. I would visit her sometimes when I was a kid, I would, we would go and eat in Chinatown a lot. And I used to love yep. going through those gates. But yeah, it's 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 immersive. It's, it's mm. well, like all the Chinese, all the all the street signs are in Chinese as well as English, and it's yeah, it's it's definitely a kind of enclave. It's a very very strong culture, very strong community. Um, so I was interested to see how that was handled. Obviously, I don't know if I can say whether or not this was helpful for Chinese culture at all. I don't think it was. I don't. Yeah, and I'm on the fence about this as well, just because 
if we actually cast our minds back, how many films, how many studio American films actually dealt with Asian culture and Asian mysticism yeah. around that time? Literally Eddie Murphy's golden child. And that's about <laughs> it. Like and, there's, and, and, but from memory, golden child, the main villain is played by a white dude. Yeah, it is. So, so yeah, and I think that raises another interesting point is that apart from Kurt Russell, um, Kim Cattrall and Kate Burton, who plays Margot, the rest of the characters aren't Caucasian, mm, yeah. which is great, but is it culturally sensitive? Well, I don't, it's not, probably not for us to decide. No, but, but I think that's definitely a question to be asked and it'll be interesting to see how that comes up with the remake. True. Cause I mean, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Cause the other thing too, is it like, it gives the Asian American actors an opportunity to really shine. Yeah. And it's um, like the other guy, Victor Wong, who plays uncle egg. Mm-hmm. The only other movie that I really remembered him in was uh, three ninjas. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's, <laughs> Which is, you know, a little bit less culturally sensitive to the, yeah. to the ways of Asian-American <laughs> culture. <laughs> but I guess I think culturally the other problem I had with it is that every Asian character can do martial arts. Yeah. that's Which it, it's kind of just expected of them, which again is a, a bit of a problem for me. Like pro- for some reason Wang, who just runs a restaurant, is also able to go toe-to-toe with the Three Storms. True. I didn't actually think about that because it's because it's kind of like well, it's a kung fu movie or yeah. like a, you know, it's a kind of takeoff on a Bruce Lee style movie. So I was like, well, I, I didn't really question it that much. You're right. It is a little bit presumptuous yeah, that because even Brian, I think, yeah, the you know, he's like he's the maitre d of the restaurant and he exactly. does he does like karate moves, doesn't he? Too. Yeah. There's no character reason for either of them to be good at at martial arts or fighting in general. No, I mean, to right. a certain extent, same with Kurt Russell. Like, the fact that he can he can hide a knife in his boots so well is interesting. Like, why? Well, yeah, he's kind of like a tough truck driver. Although there is that they do when, when Jack Burton shoots somebody and he asks him, is it the first time you've plugged somebody? And Which- he's like... No, but you're never sure if he's like, I was like, it's like is, he, is that character lying? I don't know. Well, see, that's the thing, because maybe you could say that he was in Vietnam or something. Well, I don't know. But then I don't think he'd be the kind of character that he is. <laughs> the wisecracking uh, <laughs> ham radio operator on the open road. Yeah, that was that was an interesting thing we haven't really spoken about is, yeah, how the film kind of opens and closes with him doing his monologues over the ham radio in his truck. I like, really like that. I thought that was a great opportunity. It sets up character really early yeah. on. And as soon as I heard him doing it, I was when he when it because he's just talking over the ham radio to nobody. It's essentially like he's doing radio. Yeah. But I was like, oh, he's doing a John Wayne impression. So it's like right. I was like, okay, I'm with it. I'll go with this. You know, and as he's going along, that sort of John Wayne persona comes through in the sense like John Wayne's persona was always there's a clear right and there's a clear wrong yeah and that really comes through in Kurt Russell's performance he's like there's right and then there's wrong yeah and he follows that to the logical conclusion where he's like well you know you owe me the money so I've got to go with you to get the money he's like I gotta get my truck back you know it's like it's like it's wrong that this 
you know, Lopan is going to marry your girl and whatnot. So I'm going to go with, cause that's the right thing to do. And hopefully I'll find my truck in the process. Yeah. <laughs> so this film came out in the mid eighties, as we said before, it's, it's current to its time. And you said that the film totally bombed. It was a huge bomb. And actually Kurt Russell was on a major losing streak at this point. Right. He had not been in, he'd have been in a series of unsuccessful films and this film was another one in the series. But I feel like this is a film that has got a cult status now. It's a cult classic at, by this stage. Definitely. It, it, um, it definitely made its mark in the home VHS market. Because, yeah, I, understandably it's a hard film to market, but surely I feel like it was perfect for its time. It's an action film that's different in tone. Like it's, I feel like it held its comedy really well with the action um and it probably precedes some of the more popular buddy cop films that we've seen sort of in the 80s and 90s so yeah yeah i'm sort of surprised that it didn't do better um at the box office it's possible the studio just you know kind of gave up on it or didn't care enough but this is also actually after this film john carpenter doesn't do another studio picture for several years. He right. goes back to independent film. Understandably, they probably just, there was no cash in him, or at least that's, they didn't see it that way. They just, yeah. Or he, I think he just got sick of interference. Also, right. another interesting thing that we should mention about John Carpenter, uh, he did the music for this film. Yes. Because he does the music for a lot of movies. I am. Um, His movies, yes. specifically. <laughs> like the Halloween theme. He wrote the Halloween theme. Well, yeah, that's probably a, a, a good entrance for us to talk about the, the the filmmaking process of this film. Um, yeah, the soundtrack initially I could really I really noticed it. I was like, oh, okay, these synths and stuff. This is what people were talking about when it came to Stranger Things and John Carpenter. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it it fits the film well. And I think that's one of the reasons why it it's obviously one of the reasons why it's so iconic and such a cult classic. And probably one of the reasons why I would go back and watch it again, just to hear some of that cool music. It just worked <laughs> really well. Yeah. The, um, his Carpenter is always known for using sort of synths and eerie tonal, um, uh, movements in the music, like yeah. really to get under your skin and, and like put you off in that sort of way. Because I reckon we've watched films that have synth in them in the soundtrack that were made in the 80s. I reckon off the top of my head I feel like Commando is probably the best example where it sticks out like a sore thumb and has not aged well, whereas this is not the case. The, 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 the style of the music fits the style of the film and it all works together and, and yeah, I think will we'll stand up well. Like you go, okay, this is a film made in the 80s. But it it yeah it all meshes well together. I really I really like that. Another interesting thing with the music too is that it never goes into East Asian theme like the 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 music isn't themed in an East Asian way. Right. There's never any like dun 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 dun. Yeah, none actually, of that's that. a good point. There's literally there's literally ne- no music. Nary a chopstick to be found. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, which is actually, I didn't even think about that until right now. And that's I think actually that's quite impressive. possibly one of the reasons why, you know, this movie maybe wasn't singled out. Not, no, not the reason why it wasn't singled out, but it's maybe a bit more culturally sensitive in that it doesn't 
Well, I don't know. To me, it doesn't devolve into stereotypes in the same way. Not, not really glaring stereotypes, but they're still there. I mean, the whole thing around the Chinese mysticism, I'm, as I said, it's not for really for, for us to say, but I feel like they are based around stereotypes very much so. Sure. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, well, I don't know. I don't know what's real and what's not. Yeah, I don't know if exactly. Lopan is, if these are actually real <laughs> characters. Well, actually, that would be interesting to find out is whether it's based on any actual mythology or it was something made up for the film. The creature work was like the was pretty good. There wasn't too much of it. Like there was just that hairy monster dude. <laughs> That's never explained why he's there or where yeah. he comes from. But then he's also, and the fact that he's in the final scene of the film, which I get because they don't really reference what happens to it, it pops up at one point and then Kim Cattrall gets taken by the monster. But it's never really clear, yeah, why, what it is. Um, yeah. But well, it was some really good. Or the thing that comes out of work. the wall and grabs somebody in, in the, Wait, when, I, when they're in the black rivers of blood oh yeah, yeah there's yeah. something that comes out of the wall and grabs one of the guys and it's like some sort of monster yeah that never reappears well it shouldn't reappear again but like it, well yeah because egg says it won't yeah but um but that's kind of both a, a good thing and a bad thing about this film is that you feel like there was a lot of thought put into all of the bits that were around the story um, so they're there. They didn't choose to necessarily delve into them because they just don't have the time. But like, it was good because it just meant it felt like a full, fully realized world. Definitely, yeah. It's it's definitely Jack's going into this world, yeah, and and being you know amazed by it. not amazed by it, but like you know he's like, what the hell is going on here? Like, mm. and the other thing I found really interesting is that Jack is essentially the sidekick in this movie in a lot in of the ways. action scenes. Yeah, yeah. He's never he never like he like he shoots the ceiling and the rocks it's- knock him out or like there's other things where like he hides and Wang beats everybody up with kung fu moves and he jumps back out again. You yeah. know, like and that provides great comic relief. So it's like it's almost like an inversion of the you know Caucasian hero and the ethnic sidekick sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, yeah, and and like you uh, like you may have mentioned earlier, you know, there I think there is, you know, it really begs the question: who is the main character in this movie? Yeah, because really, at the end of the day, Wang trying to get his fiance is the motivation for him for the film. But Jack's motivation is. Get the money. I need to get my money and get his truck back. Yeah, so um, which is good. They both have they both have solid motivations. You yeah, know? and they're and they're referenced throughout. You know, because he's always like, I just want to get my truck and get out of here. You know. Yeah, and he Jack is the kind of guy where all he cares about is being out on the open road and his vices, whichever they may be, whether it's gambling or whatever or else. Or Kim Cattrall, yes. you know, he tries to crack on you at the airport. Yeah, you see, like, yeah, the way Jack treats. Kim Cattrall's character, I think is, he's not overly creepy, but he is pretty creepy and it's probably sets the tone for how women are treated or seen in general by this film. Mm. They are just pretty much just objects. I mean, Grace Law is a little bit more than that, just a little bit, but not much. She, Yeah, I mean, there's no, she's definitely a, to me I found her a much stronger character character especially for an 80s film yeah and she's definitely got a motivation like her whole thing is like she's a human rights lawyer she's trying to you know get these chinese women who are imprisoned by david lopan out like that's her motivation and that's why she brings the journalist along to write about this yes because apparently yeah they need to get it into the media um 
So everybody actually has a motivation. Well, at least of the three, the three primary leads and the villain all mm. have really solid motivations. The one thing interesting about Kim Cattrall, though, when they when they get captured and put into the prison with the other Chinese women who have been imprisoned by Lopan. Yeah. Um, why is the journalist not gagged and Kim Cattrall is hogtied and gagged from behind? She's the only, she's like in bondage. Like, but I feel like that says something about her character. I th- I do think you raise a good point. Like, but why, the more I think why about it, I is feel she like, in bondage gear? Like, is it, oh, because she was. I think because she would put up a fight. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. That I was, but I was like a little bit like, cause I was like, I was like, oh, are they just doing this to like, you know, women bound, you know, you know, is it, is it because it's Kim Cattrall, you know, she was in Porky's and, you know, these other kind of raunchy comedies, you know, that, I don't know, it did that, that, that felt a little bit weird. Although I will say, um, there are rumors that on the set of Star Trek six, right. Kim Cattrall had photos taken of her on the set of the Enterprise with nothing but her Vulcan ears on. <laughs> Right. And that Leonard Nimoy destroyed the photo evidence. Uh, Damn you, Leonard. Actually, talking about Grace and Margot's roles in the film uh, prompted me to do a bit of Googling. I wanted to find out if this film passes the Bechdel test. Ooh, it, it does. does. It actually does, which is interesting. But the Bechdel test is yes. flawed. Right? It's, it's, it's a good measure, but... You still need to look at the film as a whole and go, oh, okay, is this really good for for women and and female characters in general? Um, but yeah. it does because at at some point in the film, Grace and Margot have a conversation that has nothing to do with the men that they are pining after or anything like that, which is sort of the main basis of the Bechdel test. Yeah, no, this was just, it was really interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't actually occur to me, that, but yeah, this film definitely passes the Bechdel test. Yeah. Um, not to say that that redeems the way it treats women in the film, no, but no. Um, but no, but I think the points you were making before about the fact that these women have motivations for being there, um, uh, yeah, is really good. And I think this is the thing that, uh, like, overall, this is a there's there's a lot of gray area here. Yeah, that probably you and I are not the best qualified to no. to evaluate the Asian culture sort of thing, the women culture sort of thing, but it is in the guise of a quite silly slapsticky yes you know kung fu comedy and really well shot as well the the action in this film moves along quickly but you can you can understand what's going on like we have that thing of with a lot of films now where it's a lot of shoulder cam um tight shots and they use the editing to drive the action this does use editing to drive the action as well, but you can see what's happening. They're, they're close-ups and mid-shots, and so you can actually kind of see where the person's getting hit and follow the the beats of the fight scene. It was kind of refreshing to see that. Mm. And, yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, like the, the kung fu scenes, I, I enjoyed all those. It's good action. Um, they, they didn't blow me away. Like it, it's not the best kung fu you've ever seen committed no. to film. I think definitely some of the, the three storms, I'm assuming, must have had martial arts Considering the quality of their acting, yeah. I, would, I would like to assume. <laughs> yeah, they were not. But, yeah, it's not, it's not a Jackie Chan movie. It's not a Bruce Lee movie. You know, it's not a Jet Li movie, you know. And actually, the the characters, the three storms, are 
interesting example of how dense the mythology of the film is. So not only are we dealing with Lopan, who is this guy who sold his soul to the devil or something thousands of years ago and is trapped in, you know, whatever, but he's also got these three storms that fight for him and have these crazy amazing powers. And then, of course, the beast as well. Which, <laughs> and, this, and the floating eyeball monster, which yeah. is, you know, there at some point. <laughs> and, yeah, the, 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 it's never really explained why he has those three storms, which is fine. They're his like, cronies, you know. Yeah, but they're, the interesting thing is they're seen as these really powerful beings, but then they get relatively, well, they get dispatched by... By Wang and Jack. Yeah. So I don't know. Does love conquer all? Is that what I don't know? I'm not sure. William Shakespeare. Want to tell us, uh, recite a sonnet for us? Yeah. Look, <laughs> I enjoyed this film, and so it was hard to see any sort of glaring filmmaking things that I didn't like. It's a yeah. It's just it's a fun um, action comedy that you know while it does stray into some gray areas. Um, it, it's yeah, it's it, it, it's it. The other thing, it's really it stands alone. And that's the other thing yeah. about this movie. There is no other movie that you could point to and be like, oh, it's like Big Trouble, Little China. There's yeah, literally yeah. nothing else like it. Well, because I haven't seen Escape from New York or Escape from LA. But no, those are those are very different. Yeah, very, right. very different films. Those are like dy- those are about a dystopian future. Right. Okay. They're, so. they're, <laughs> both movies are the exact same premise. Like <laughs> they're on an island. It, yeah, it's like you have to. Manhattan Island is a prison. Well, we don't need to go through the plot. We'll go through the plot of that when we go. When we go to them. But yeah. um, but yeah, no, I agree with you 100. percent There's nothing like this film, and unlike Hudson Hawk, it's great. Uh, <laughs> just a couple of punches to right. the gut. That's couple that's, that's just a sucker the punching. Yeah, Hudson. Okay. Yeah, always will. Never gonna stop. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, yeah. The other, the only thing I can say about the filmmaking process is the stakes are constantly raised. You know, in yes. every, in every beat. You know, like it starts off very small. You know, Jack is gambling. He's uh, with his because he's a he's a truck driver and he drives into San Francisco with his with his pigs. Drops the pig off and he's in this all night Chinese gambling. I'm not sure what they're gambling about. Like, I'm not sure what the game is like mahjong or some mahjong. No, or. I think they were like scorpion fighting. Scorpions fighting or something like no, that. No, they're like dominoes. He's got, they're, like, they're like flipping over dominoes. Anyways, it doesn't oh, matter. Oh, yeah, there was that too. The, the, he's in an all-night gambling game. Wang owes him a 1000 bucks, and so he's like, oh, I want to get my money back. You know, I want to get my money. Yeah. Oh, no, because he's like, I, like oh, I can chop this bottle in half. And that's actually, that comes back. So yes, Kurt we Russell, that, that's actually yet. a good, that's a good little um, uh, tag there that they do is that. <laughs> The pay- yeah, it's a good is little it, setup and payoff. Because Wang says, if I can chop this bottle in half, it's double or nothing. And he can't. He chops the bottle with his knife, and Kurt Russell's hand, fl- you know, it hits the bottle, and the bottle flies at Kurt Russell, and he grabs it. It's like, and that comes back when Lopan throws a knife at him, and Kurt Russell catches the knife and then throws it back and hits him. That was like, but okay, that couldn't happen, the main- but whatever. At that point, you know, Dennis Dunn and one of the three storms have just had a fight where they're obviously on trampolines, you know, <laughs> yeah, like just jumping at each other, jumping at each other and slicing each other with giant swords. So I'm kind of willing to, or willing to go with it. And yeah, that raises but they did pay it point. off. Yeah. About the escalation of stakes is that, yeah, the action got more and more crazy as the film went on, and so you kind of go along for the ride. If you watch those final two scenes without watching the rest of the film, you'd be like, this is stupid. Like, this doesn't work. Um, I kind of had a problem with the final payoff 
because well, which with with the knife, right? Well, where so so Kurt Russell, so in the so in because Kurt Russell he throws kills Lopan, yeah, but he throws the knife at Lopan, totally misses. Doesn't he? He hits him in the no, he hits him in the head. No, no, no. Take a step back. He th- how does Lopan have a knife? Uh, because Kurt remember. already threw a knife at him, and then Lopan picks it up, throws it at him. Kurt catches it and throws it back and hits him in the head. Oh right, so I he, think so. Well, you know, oh. Kurt Russell was a baseball player at one point, so that's why he gets that go. good arm. <laughs> no, but like, I, yeah, he actually played minor league baseball for. A while. He was going to become a professional baseball player, and he tore his rotator cuff. So oh, actually, shit. oh, Conti error, you know? <laughs> How can he <laughs> tore his rotator cuff? No, because my problem is, is that in that moment we show that he's not that great a throw, but then right. because it's the reflexes, somehow he's able to hit it. And also, it was a bit of a a dull way for the villain to die. Like it felt too simple. Yeah. I mean, in a way, cause the whole thing is that like, so Lopan becomes human again when he, yeah. when he marries, uh, Meow Yin. Yin. Yep. And he's going to marry Gracie Law too. Cause she has green eyes. You and know? then cause, oh, and that's where they tagged on a little bit more story. It's like, Oh, because of this thing with the emperor, if he kills her, he'll be able to rule the world or some. Yeah. Well, shit. that's, that's, so that raises the stakes as well. So yeah. that, I mean, even though it, that, it raises stakes like, oh, the world is in trouble. Yeah. But it kind of didn't feel like it was, it felt. Because it was tacked on. It, it, it definitely felt tacked on. And I was like, okay, that's good. But yeah, we didn't feel the weight of that. So actually no. that's, that could be a little bit of a criticism there. I feel like the more that we talk about this film, the more holes we're going to end up poking in it. That's what it's starting to feel like. Yeah. I mean, no, no, you're right. I mean, but it does, it, in a sense, it doesn't really diminish my enjoyment all that much. I mean, no. the, the, these things are like these are quibbles yeah. on the whole. It's it's a it's a it's a good it's an enjoyable action movie actually. And I will say a really brave choice at the end. Lopan's dead. You know the the explosion you know has happened and destroyed his lair and whatnot. Yeah. And they're back at Wang's restaurant. And Kurt Russell's like, "Well, I'm going to go back on the road," you know. And mm. and someone says, "Are you going to kiss her, kiss?" kiss her goodbye <laughs> and he goes no i'm yeah. not gonna do it and i was like that's a brave choice because it's actually for me that's much more memorable than if he had just kissed her and been like i'm out of here you know it would have been like eh. but he's and, like the fact that he goes no i'm not gonna do it and and it kind of supports the idea that maybe the women in this film aren't just objects and that yeah he did make out with her in the sewer but she <laughs> didn't want that and that was clear and then yeah later on he's like well yeah no i mean she's hot but I'm fine. See you later. That was that was a really good choice, actually. I, I yeah, I agree with you on that for sure. It's just it's just one of those things that like it turns the convention on its head. Because if he had kissed her, it would have felt really unsatisfying. No, I agree. It, Even though they do talk about um, like oh, we could get a you know trailer for two or something like that. <laughs> That's right. Oh, because then she kind of she kind of is interested in him a little bit. Yeah. But because he's like, no, well, I'm a truck driver. I'm you know bound for the open road. You know. <laughs> If you think about it, what is Kurt Russell's journey? He doesn't change at the end. He's the same guy at the beginning at the end, which supports, you know, the kind of the theory that he's actually more of the sidekick character in a lot right. of ways. You feel like he does have a journey because he only cares about getting his truck back, but then he does help yeah. with the women breaking out of the sex slave trade. Mm. And he does keep caring. But, yeah, then at the end of the film he's like, cool, done. I'm just going to go back to how life was. Yeah. And he's invested. I mean, he definitely, the, I guess the journey is he's, he is like, he's initially, he just wants his money. Then he just wants his truck back. Yeah. But then he's like, no, I'll help you Wang, get your, 
get your fiance back and despite how crazy this all yeah. is actually do and he does take the money when because when wang pays him the money at the end he writes him a check he that's takes right. it for only a thousand bucks i think i don't know he pays him, it, he gives it, him triple he says oh that's right he gives him triple the amount of money talking about character journeys though i think grace is the only character that has a journey that changes not necessarily in a good way True, yes, because she goes from thinking Jack is a pig to being somewhat yeah. attracted to him. Like yeah. I'm, just, I'm just thinking about it, you know, like sure, True. yeah, Margot and Eddie hook up. I mean, at the end, Wang um, gets his fiancé back, so that's fine, but there isn't really a change there. No, Wang, because Wang doesn't want anything else besides getting his fiancé back, who, like, literally, I don't think she talks at oh, all. She's really an object. Like that's two lines in the film. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. True, interesting. Yeah, she's the only one who actually has an arc. It feels like that doesn't matter in this film. It feels like it's a good enough ride that it doesn't matter. Usually we would, if a film didn't have an arc for the characters, we would be spending 40 minutes going, terrible script, but we haven't done that. So much of it is in the fact that from the beginning, the stakes are always raised. Every point, Jack wants his money, then the new motivation gets truck back, get Meow Yin, Gracie Law wants something. So everybody wants something. As as the movie goes on, everybody continually wants something and everybody then, it it pays off and and the stakes get raised. Okay, now it's just about this, but now it's about this. Now we're going further into the underworld. So the stakes are always raised at every single step of the journey. And you're not necessarily investing in the transformation of a character. You just, you kind of, you want them to succeed. That's all it is, Mm. which is, um, yeah, an interesting way of looking at it. I think, um, yeah, there's only a very specific set of circumstances where a script like that would be, would would turn out to be a a film as enjoyable to watch as this one. Mm. And it's an enjoyable film, but it didn't make any money. No. No. So, say la vie. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. This movie... I think holds up, you know. I think it's 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 a timepiece. It's, it's it's a good one to chuck on, like of an evening when you're like, I just want to watch something fun. I don't have to think about too much. Like, yeah, I, I it's definitely one to just have in the collection to put on every year or so. It's a hidden gem, I think, in yeah. a lot of ways. And look, we'll see if Dwayne the Rock Johnson gets his version off the ground, and is it going to be as culturally sensitive? I don't know. I like Dwayne Johnson. I think he can. Do good film. And he could do comedy. Yes. He can definitely do comedy. And that's, you know, you couldn't cast somebody who can't do comedy in this no. role. It'll be interesting to see how that one goes. I am not, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm not overly optimistic either no. because it's, yeah, it's, uh, I don't <laughs> so, know. so, so, so <laughs> what do you give this film, Josh? Uh, I would give this film, um, 33 out of 47 green-eyed women. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of women, Josh. <laughs> well, uh... <laughs> I'm going to give this one 38 out of 40 split beer bottles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been too old for this shit. But before we go, we need to do the legally required social media plug. Like us on Facebook at TOFTS Podcast and follow us on Twitter at TOFTS Podcast to stay up to date and send us any movie review suggestions. Make sure you also subscribe on your podcasting app of choice and leave us a review. It helps. It really does.
totally ruining my dreams about sexy Vulcans. <laughs> and Although in my dreams about sexy Vulcans, you know, I, I propose sex and I go, well, it's just not logical. <laughs> no, yeah, it doesn't make any sense for them to procreate. With yeah, you, exactly. They're like, well, I procreate with this lower life form. <laughs>